So am I going to talk first or are you going to talk first? I don't know. So I talk first. Well, if you want me to talk first, you're going to have to tell me what to say. That. It won't be that. Okay. Try this. Are well, you ready? Repeat after me. Yes, hello. Hello, lovely listeners. Hello, love. Do you want me to, like, shall I shall I flower it up or do you just want me to repeat it exactly as no, you no, say? No, no, no. You do your dramatic reading, too. It's all good. Yeah. My dramatic reading? Yeah, give it. Oh, give it. hello, lovely listeners. Line, welcome to Frithcast episode 67. Welcome to Frithcast episode... What was it, sorry? 67. Thank you. 67! Episode 67 of Frithcast. This is Suzanne. Hello. Suzanne is... I always want to say the editor-in-chief. Get off. Well, it's because I... coffee maker. It's because I used to listen to the Crack podcast. Mm. And whenever Dan Daniel O'Brien was on, he was editor-in-chief at the time, and he would start off saying, I'm Daniel O'Brien. I think it was Dan. I think... Yeah, it was him. I'm Daniel O'Brien. I'm the editor-in-chief of Crack. And for some reason, when you're about to say... I'm the the UK ambassador for tat. Yeah. It, my brain registers it. I'm the editor in chief of Cracked. How about? But you're not. No, I'm just a heathen, hun. I know. No, I, you're you're my heathen. Oh. <laughs> Excuse me, lovely listeners. We're having a moment. That's lovely. Thank, Thank you, dear. Thank you. Okay. Anyway. Now you introduce you. Well, do you not want to introduce me? Lovely listeners. The beautiful Neilus wreckage beside me <laughs> is Kate, the coffee-powered druid. <laughs> she is fabulous. Oh, crikey. I'm being bigged up. She is Kate von Lichtenstein. <laughs> How was that? <coughs> My lords, <coughs> ladies and gentlemen, and everybody else here not sitting on a cushion... <laughs> Brilliant. Anyway, so we are here for another Frithcast, episode 67. We are. Welcome around the virtual campfire, lovely listeners. Hello. All you lovely new listeners. Hello. Hello. Hi. Welcome to the slightly sideways fun and games geekery that is our discussion of modern heathenism. We like to think. Yes. Have a go at the back catalogue at some point. It's just as bonkers as this episode's going to be. We're hoping. We're yeah, hoping. it's all good. So we like to, um, you know, uh, we like to not take ourselves quite too seriously. Yeah. Um, and on that note, total um, non-seriousness. What in are fact. we seriously going to very fiercely and 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 frownily discuss this evening? <laughs> okay. I'm 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 ready. 
ready for it. I've got I've got like beetling brow and everything. I can see that. I'm, you I'm, really need to get those wax. <laughs> Listeners, you don't know how true it is. Um, and those shoes. I'm <laughs> sachet away. Oh, I'm supposed to do a comeback. I know. Okay. No, I'm, 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 I'm already. I'm ready to, to, to get down with the seriousness and learn some heathen stuff <clears throat> about heathen, heathen, heathenryism. <laughs> heathenryism. Because I'm, I'm. Uh, if you've, if you've been with us for a while, uh, uh, dear listeners, you will know I'm. I am not myself a heathen. I am as, as, as introed. Uh, a, a druid of the druidic persuasion. Yeah, um, take a bit of druidry. Yeah, with, with a hint of sort of Roman paganism as well. The two <coughs> do manage to, um, to 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 kind of fit together quite well. Actually, you'd be surprised. Um, so, um, but I am here to learn from my beloved heathen wife here. Who is well, you do <laughs> Who is going to tell us this evening about? Hang on, I'm just taking a sip of coffee. Oh. Give me a minute. Oh, the timing. What? I thought you were carrying on. All right. What I'd like to talk about, we've done an episode looking at interfaith stuff. We have. And we've covered episodes, things like the the Beowulf episode, right back in the midst of time in about episode six, I think. We first looked at an account by an Arabic guy called Ibn Fadlan. Yes, yes. About his account of the burial of a Rush chieftain. Rush. Rus Chieftain. Uh, Rus. 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 Rus chieftain. Ibn Fadlan was the guy who was, uh, he upset the sultan. Of Brunei. Uh, of Brunei. And he was assigned to a diplomatic mission. Basically Quote, to, unquote, diplomatic mission. Yeah, in, in a, I don't know whether um, anybody's ever watched Invader Zim. Um, yeah, in, in yeah, which, I was just thinking that actually. in which uh, yeah. the main character, who is a a, a, a somewhat inept uh, alien, um, working who displeases in a, his rulers, displeases his rulers, so he's sent on a prestigious mission to uh, go and prepare a distant planet for invasion. Yeah, uh, and there's a lot riding on it. Except there is. when he get he zooms out and it's some some planet they've like just stuck a pin in at random off way off the edge of the map that they're not yeah. really interested in. On a post-it note, off the edge of the map, off the frame somewhere. Yeah, or the Golga yeah. Frinch and Bark. You may uh, that may mean uh, that may, some of our listeners may be familiar with that as well. But um, anyway, moving on. So, uh, so Ibn Fadlan, having upset said uh, Sultan, um, was assigned to this diplomatic mission. Uh, I should point out that um, uh, where Invader Zim was fiercely inept, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, Ibn Fadlan is. Distinctly non fiercely inept. He's very not in, inept. Uh, he just uh, he just landed on the wrong side of somebody's uh, bad temper. Um, so he gets given a job to go up the Volga. Yeah, I think. so. Is it the Volga? I'm trying to think where the Volga uh, goes. I, I think like big so, river, big river in Russia. I thought my geography was better than this, and now I can't remember where the Volga is. Um, anyway, somewhere in there goes up to uh, yeah, what is uh, sort of fairly northeastern Europe, um, into uh, or, or 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 edging up to what is now the western frontier of Russia, and meets with a group of Rus Vikings, yep. Eastern Vikings, who traders. Uh, he stays with for some time. He learns. Uh, he he communicates with them by virtue of the fact that he, as an Arabic 
Muslim scholar. Yeah. And they, as not entirely um, uneducated yeah. uh, Vikings, they're, they're traders, they're, uh, they're, they're, they're constantly in communication with people around Europe. So everybody involved speaks Latin. Yeah, kind of. He speaks Latin. <coughs> well, he speaks Latin. The and Vikings. One of the other Vikings speak people, Latin. Somebody and who that's speaks it. Latin. So essentially, they that is their 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 vector of communication. Yeah. At least to begin with, um, and he writes down his experiences with the Rus. Mm. Uh, writes down his his thoughts about what he sees them say and do, and what he what they believe, and their attitudes to things, and all that kind of thing. And he leaves us with really quite a valuable hugely detailed account record yeah um <coughs> which by the way got turned into a um uh, book. a book and film called the, uh, the book was called the eaters of the dead it was which was based on uh ibn fadlan amongst these these vikings it had a very kind of eerie sort of feel to it though yeah um and it was eventually made into a film called the 13th warrior with Antonio Banderas. Antonio Banderas. Indeed. <laughs> but, so, some of the accounts we have of what the Vikings did, what they got up to, where they went, who they traded with, all of that jazz are from Muslim scholars. Yes. But they're not the only people who record accounts of the Vikings. This is true. We also get accounts of the Vikings from Christians. Yes. Of the time. What we so, don't what we don't get is an awful lot of accounts from the actual Vikings. No, yeah, there aren't. Uh, yeah, we're going to come on to a couple of those later on. Okay. They're not huge, big accounts. The ones that you get from the Christians, you might have heard of a document called the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. Mm-hmm. And for those of you familiar with Twitter, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle is like one tweet a year written in Anglo-Saxon. It's all of the best highlights kind of compressed into like two or three lines of text and that's it. Yeah. So it's like reading a very, very old Twitter feed that does like one or two tweets a year and it's done. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. So. <coughs> it's all bloody memes. That's the problem with the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. I know. It's just, it's harsh cultural stuff that we don't get anymore. But Dank. Yes. Very, very dank. <laughs> um, but they're... Account in June 793. Yep. Is that there's these northern men, these Vikings, these people who go a Viking, these raiders, mm-hmm. that come to Lindisfarne and they make a wee bit of a mess. It does not go well. Not for the monks. Not for the monks. No. Absence of going well for the monks. They kind of get a bit cheesed off because the Vikings go away with all the shinies. And they get written about in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. But this isn't the first time that the Anglo-Saxons have encountered the Vikings. They've also encountered them before that date on sporadic trading runs in the south. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. What you get with Anglo-Saxon accounts or what you get with a lot of the written accounts from the time is that they're Christian. They're early medieval Christians. Yeah. So you can imagine that the accounts they're going to write of the people who've come to kind of bosh them on the nonce and steal all their knees are not going to be very favourable to the people doing the boshing. Possibly not. No. You might expect there to be a degree of tetchiness. There is a little bit of degree of tuknark. Yes. So you've got to keep that in mind when you're reading things like the (coughs) Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. 
you have got to remember who wrote it and the fact that they are kind of kneeless in a very cold monastery with no shinies left and they're kind of took knock. Yeah, yeah. So they're writing this account of, I took, you know, got took knock and I'm writing this account of Grump. Yeah, it's... um. But we don't have anything to counteract the Grump. To what extent do we know what actually happened? I mean... Yeah, exactly. It's we literally don't. just from the Anglo-Saxon yeah. records. Yeah, I mean, you've got other records as well. Okay. Um, one of the things you do have are runic inscriptions. Now, there's a lot of these. Yeah. And they're generally on big slabs of rock. Okay. Now, these are accounts that are mostly in Sweden. There's a couple of thousand of them in Sweden. All right. So it's going to take a while to list inscription one. (laughs) No, I'm not going to list all the inscriptions because there's loads of them. Yeah, settle right in because this one's going to be a doozy. No, (laughs) so there's runic inscriptions and the majority of these at the time are recording deaths of people. Okay. They're kind of like the, the registrar of the time. They're recording familial relationships. They're recording when and where somebody is thought to have died, right. often away from home. Yeah. So he went raiding in Grickland. He went raiding in Greece. Okay. He fed the eagle well. He was really good in battle, but didn't come home. So you can gather that something didn't quite go right there. But it might say, it might the inscription might start with the phrase, read the runes. He might have just decided he liked going it on. there. Yeah, it might just to kind of settle down. Well, I mean, actually, and... actually, you know, I've I've had enough <clears throat> of the, the raiding and the looting life. You know, this is a nice patch. I could just like set up a little shop. Oh yeah, that Stay happened here. too. Yeah, yeah. They did the whole, the raiding and trading thing was kind of mixed. Yeah. So it it, kind of, because they're not one homogenous people, they're often an expedition. Yeah. Which will go and take a load of stuff over for trading and then go up the coast and raid and then go home. Okay. So they're kind of doing bits of both and there's never very many clear accounts of, oh yeah, trust the guys who look like this because they're just here to trade. Yeah. Do not trust the guys that look like that because they just kind of bop you on the head and steal all your knees. And so (laughs) all of the accounts are a bit garbled. Yeah. About how many there are. There were, you know, five... 10, 20 big lads. Large big lads. Large big lads. <laughs> it's that, and you don't know what it's actually like. But the yeah. runic inscriptions go from recording deaths. So-and-so, son of so-and-so, or father to so-and-so, or he who owned a farm in this territory yep. has died. It's kind of like an insurance document. It's like saying this inheritance has can now be passed to this person. Oh, sort of the will. Yeah. Yeah, okay. It's like, you know, four ton rocks worth of will that's written out and it's put on a boundary somewhere. So when you go into that territory, you're reading all of these news and messages. So-and-so's died. His son's inherited the farm. Or so-and-so, fighting brother to so-and-so, has put this stone up in memory of this person. They've died now and their farm could be passed on. Or their goods okay. can be passed on, or their wife can remarry, is now free to remarry because there's this legal document that says it's all good. This massive monolithic <clears throat> yeah. legal document. These massive monolithic okay. legal document that were painted. <clears throat> These runestones are painted. Okay. So you might see the phrase so and so carved, so and so painted. 
This I did not know. So they found traces of paint in the creases. Mm. Reds, yellows, blues, browns. Huge, big, four-ton rock. Bright yellow, painted. Well... With a big message all over it. This is... This is... In, this <clears> is... Uh, interesting to me, because as a, as a Roman... Sort of Greco-Roman, sort of mm. pagany type... Um, I was I was tickled mm. to find out when I found out some years ago that the what we think of as these very classical Greek statues, Greek and Roman uh, statues well, yeah, like and busts marble. and things. Yeah, uh, you have them in, in 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 all the finest museums, and everybody goes uh, goes walking around them and looking looking at them very seriously, and and and, and sort of going, oh yes, the the line, the form, the this that and the other, and it's all very. It's oh, all yeah. very highbrow, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and they have. Um, if you go to uh, uh, there's a, a stately home not far from where where we are, our mm. sort of area. There's a, a a place in the middle of Britain called Chatsworth, and they have um, a sculpture gallery where there's a, a a whole. I mean, to be fair, in in Chatsworth, a lot of them are quite actually modern modern sculptures, but it's that yeah. kind of you know sort of like naked Greek dudes. Oh, okay, and and. Ladies with, with, with big fine... I mean, plenty of naked... Anyway, there's a lot of naked goes on, but there's also a lot of, you know, very refined, fine robes and togas and... and um, uh, What's the... A stola? A stoli? I was trying to think stola, what the lady, yeah. lady version of a toga was. Um, <clears throat> and, and originally, though, they were painted. Were they? They were painted, and well, they were okay. as garish as balls. <laughs> balls are garish. Well, figuratively speaking. Okay. I was going to say garish as f***, but we're a family show, so... <gasps> Young lady, your language. You know. Yeah, they were painted. They were painted up in horrible, horrible, bright colours. Wow. You know, ghastly. Okay. Really tasteless. I mean, these were absolutely monstrous. You know, the, the exact opposite of how we look at them. Okay. And it just made me. It just. It just reminded me of that when you were talking about the real stones being painted up, bright, great big yellow things, just yeah. plonked all over reds, the countryside. All of that, mm. big, huge, big painted room stones. <clears throat> and you find that originally they used to mark deaths. Okay. Primarily for things like inheritance, or they understand now that they're for things like inheritance. Yeah. But when you get the conversion to Christianity in Northern Europe, takes it isn't an overnight process. No. And it isn't the same process everywhere. Okay. It's different. It, it takes at different speeds in different places. In some places it exists alongside paganism. Some places don't take it at all. Yeah. Some places take Christianity straight on. Others it takes a few attempts before it sticks. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of this mishmash of two faiths that interweave and work alongside each other for a long long time okay and so you get runestone markers but the language on them changes mm. it changes to instead of such and such is dead his inheritance can go to this person now yeah it will say such and such is died god help his soul okay or it will give you the phrase he died in white clothes he died in white clothes in white clothes, bearing in mind that the inscriptions before this haven't told you about what kind of clothes the people have been dying in. No. So this is a whole new phrase that's appearing on these stones. <coughs> he died in white clothes means that that person had a deathbed baptism. I was just going to say, just as a, as a side <coughs> note, 
Uh, it didn't say what the the old script inscriptions didn't say what what clothes people died in because they usually died in like metal. Yes. I mean, the, the assumption yeah. was probably that they were out, like, trying to bop somebody on the head, and they got, they got bopped on the head. Exactly. But this phrase, to die in white clothes, happens when you start getting Christianity coming into things like burial rites. Okay. But they're still raising a runestone to somebody's memory. They're just now putting this phrase on, he died in white clothes. And it means this deathbed baptism so in theory that person after they've been baptized yeah cannot sin any further so once they are baptized and don't sin they go to heaven okay it, it's reasonable to say then that the the, the rune stones were never specifically a did don't sound from what you were saying is that they were specifically religious uh, uh um no they're more like a cultural thing thing yeah. um but except were, in the sense <clears throat> that you know for for Again, from a Roman point of view, somebody says religious. I mean, the, the, I think we've 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 talked before about the the fact that a Roman would look on with with some sort of confusion on our modern concept of the separation of church and state, because to them it was the same thing, not the yes. church, but you know, yeah, it was yeah. the, it was the, their their <clears throat> their religion was the structure upon which their society was built. So, I suppose in you know, if 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 the the Vikings had any comparable idea like that, you know, you. I say the Vikings, the Norse, mm. the Scandinavians. If there, if it was their feeling that, uh, you know, if you were going to do matters of law and matters of of, of civil sort of, you know, management of of assets yeah. and properties and all that kind of thing, if there was a religious element to that, then fine. Otherwise, I was going to say, yes, it was. It might have been somebody's will or some kind of like fortun document, mm-hmm. but it doesn't sound as though it had a religious element <clears throat> to it until. Yeah, the Christianity came along. This Christianity coming in, and then suddenly it's like, well, yes, it might be a fortun legal document, but it's it needs to have references to yeah somebody's baptismal state. There's this shift in, you know, he was baptized before he died, and therefore has gone to heaven. Yeah, and so you you also get the mentioning on runestones, which doesn't happen. It only happens when you get this conversion period you get them mentioning the fact that they've done civic works for the good of their soul. Okay. So they've paid, there's a bridge, I think it's in Tarby, where it's lined with runestones and it basically says, so-and-so built this bridge for the good of the whole of Tarby and for the good of his soul. Alrighty. So he's then recording that he's done civic works, which is, it doesn't get, mentioned previous to that they don't kind of say yep so and so built a long haul it's awesome he's died now but it's still good that doesn't happen no. before this so somebody's like building a huge big stone bridge and lining it with runestones saying yep so and so's paid for this to be done it's a civic work it benefits his community he's done it for the benefit of the community and for the benefit of his soul because he's paid for a civic work to be done in his lifetime Okay. Which has a whole kind of different spin on it. It's a different use of wealth than the whole reci- mutual reciprocity that happens before that, where you have wealth coming down from the top and trickling down into each of it and all of those relationships linking together because they're sharing that wealth. You would have the distribution, but it was it was a kind of almost an obligation. Yeah. On the part of the the Yarl or the the. the 
community leader or whatever yeah uh would have wealth but the wealth would be expected to be distributed yes but whereas spending wealth for the good of an unnamed community freely but it's in, it it implies if they're if they're back if they're bragging about it on the on the face of buildings and things that, yeah. that it implies that they're not being obliged to spend that money no but because uh, or, <clears throat> or to, to spend that wealth i should say i mean i don't know whether it would necessarily be money in the sense that we understand it but mm. so that implies that they're because the basis of that boast is going to be i didn't have to do this but i chose to because it was good for me and good for the community yeah, it's going to save my soul and make sure it goes to heaven mm. and it's good for my community i'm just going to put this 80 foot billboard here yes funk yes tell everybody what wonderful works <clears throat> i've done because yeah. um because jesus said don't do that so that's what i'm gonna do yeah and that whole kind of civic civic work comes in when the conversion comes in yeah and conversion is complicated oh yes it's it happens they're still trying to work out from the archaeological and historical record what exactly happened in every area. Mm. Because what we've got is fragmentary and it's complicated and there are a lot of different ways of looking at it. But you might think, apart from the Anglo-Saxon Twitter chronicle, <laughs> that you, you've also got a couple of other accounts that are really useful and are not as much of taking knock okay. as the ones on the receiving end of getting all their knees nobbled. <laughs> One of the best accounts we have of a heathen temple at Uppsala, and he describes this temple. It's got a gold chain around the top. It's got a well outside and a tree that they use for hanging sacrifices from. Okay. And he describes the ceremonies that go on there is from a chap called Adam of Bremen. Now, you might have guessed with a name like Adam, he's not from Northern Europe. He's not from Scandinavia. He is, in fact, from Bremen in Germany. He's a, a wee little Christian monk Okay. that gets sent after a chap called St. Ansgar. And Ansgar... Zap Brannigan! Zap Brannigan. We're going to talk about this in the next episode, but Ansgar decides that he's going to try and convert Northern Europe yeah. from the paganism that it is, yeah. the heathenism that it is, to Christianity. And he drags along... Adam of Bremen, which is good for us because we have some of Adam of Bremen's accounts, one of which is the description of the temple at Uppsala. But he's very, very Christian. And although he's not on the wrong end of the pointy end, no, he's still seeing things through a Christian lens because he can't do anything else. Of course he can't. He's, yeah, we, this is, this is, I guess this is a problem we all, we all face, isn't it? Mm. I mean, quite aside from all the all the sort of physiological weirdness that goes on with actually receiving information and processing it and storing yeah. it in your in your memory, you know, you're going to understand things from the from within the cultural sort of shaping that you've had. Yeah. Through your life, so he's going to be going to be what you're comparing mm, it to. Mm. That's the only thing you can compare it to in yeah. a way. So he does go into Northern Europe and he does describe a lot of what goes on there, and. Next episode, we're going to talk about it because he describes Ansgar's efforts to turn Northern Europe Christian. Spoiler alert, it does not go well or particularly simply. <laughs> so, coming back to Britain. Yeah, yeah. We're going to leave Adam of Bremen till next time. Okay. Coming back to Britain, you have a an account by Bede. 
who is another monk. The venomous bead. The venomous bead. B e d e, not b e a d. Yeah. Bead is a monk, dude. I should he's point. Writing I should... down, and he's a bit venomous himself. He's got a bit snark in him. Well, he is a bit snark, but I've got. To, I should point out he's he's actually uh, traditionally referred to as the venerable bead. I like your version better. Um, my version that might be my cultural conditioning and kind my, of like yeah, but no, my I like version, your version better. My version comes from a, a very very old uh, comedy history book called Ten Sixty Six and all that. Um, where he's referred to as the Venomous Bead. Yes, so the Venomous Bead writes about a an East Anglian king yeah. called Redwald. Redwald, yeah. <clears throat> Not Redwall, but Redwald. Indeed. Yes. Never mind. Okay. Exp- it's got mice in it. I'll explain to you later. Mice? Mice. Redwald does not have mice. He is mice-free. He is a king of East Anglia. What's he got against mice? I don't think he's got anything against mice. He just They don't kind of figure in the story that much. Sorry. He's kept them all out? Yeah. Well, he hasn't kept them all out. It's just they're not recorded as actually being there. They must have been there, though. Mice. There's always mice. We little Anglians. So if they're not in the story, he's taken them out. Well, yeah. Maybe he's just micest. Mate, I, we we need to know what went on here. Okay. We'll come back to it. Yeah. Just just stick a pin in it. No, don't. I mean, don't stick a pin in the mice. But no. Stick a pin in. Yeah. Stick where a pin in the not where they are. Yes. <laughs> stick a pin in the subject. <laughs> yeah. So, the 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 venomous bead. Yes. Writes an account of Redwald, and bead for a Christian monk of all charity and faith and foo, has a little bit of snark in him. Okay. A wee lot of snark in him actually. And he's a bit not impressed with Redwald. All right. And he decides that he's going to use the power he of... he threw all the mice out. Yeah, the, the power of the written word to um, lay the smack down on Redwald's character a wee bit, even though he's a king. Oh, but if anybody can get away with that, it's a monk. Yeah. What's a king going to do to a monk? Oh, well... Well, yeah, I know, yeah. but theoretically, what's a king going to do to a monk? Okay, fine. King Redwald mm-hmm. is baptised. Okay. While he's out and about doing the visiting another king thing, he accidentally falls in the baptismal thing and gets baptised as Christian. That's not... Bede wholeheartedly approves of accidentally that... tripping up over the edge of the rug. Kasploosh, baptised now, done by. That's not how baptism works. It totally is. I've seen videos. No. Okay, fine. You get... There has to be some... They have to agree to it. You can't just fall in the water, trip them up. Drop them in the water and say you're baptised now. That's not how it works. Really? Yeah. Oh, they have to I, s- these things confuse me. They have to say that. I I, I know this. I've seen. I went to a baptism. I saw somebody doing the whole being dunked in the water thing. They had. They got asked, do you want to? Do you want to get dunked in the water? Yeah. Okay. And they're like, yes, please. They're like, dunk in the water. And there was prayers and things. You have to. You can't just accidentally trip up and fall in okay fine lovely listeners apparently he did not accidentally trip up and fall in apparently there was all prayers and foo and you know complicated stuff <laughs> symbols bells wailing women whatever <laughs> that wailing happened <clears throat> that happened and he came home and went hello lovely pagan wife Aya has christian now and pagan wife was not impressed, but I was going to say she, there's going to be tension there, isn't there? Just a little bit, yeah. So he decided because he's now Christian, and his whole kingdom is pagan. 
His okay. wife is pagan. His whole kingdom is pagan. His temples are pagan. Everything is in the decor that he left when he went away. But he has now come back with all these newfangled ideas of new decor, please. And he's but pretty he much got his work cut out there. That yeah, he's he? got to kind of look at changing everything. Yeah. But he doesn't really want to change everything. Okay. Because if he kind of chucks out all of his old stuff and puts his newfangled stuff in, he's got a risk that he's going to alienate himself at the top of the kingdom and lose the support of all of his followers. This is true. This is not a good thought. So he has this bright spark of an idea, one which Bede disapproves of terribly, which makes me quite like it. Disapproves? Totally disapproves. Okay. Uh, or, you know, total thumbs down, angry face, whatever you want to call it. Venom. Does not like it. Redwald sets up in his his hall, he has an altar at one end to the pagan gods. Okay. Directly opposite that, at the other end of the hall, he sets up an altar to Christ. Really? God. Because he kind of wants to hedge his bets. And have a little bit of both. Also not how it works, but... Yeah, he doesn't quite can... get the hang of monotheism. But, you know, he was trying. Yeah. And all of his kingdom is pagan. His wife is pagan. Yeah. All of his followers are pagan. Yep. He's now come back with this shiny new religion and needs to introduce it kind of slowly. Fortunately for us... Bede records that his wife managed to persuade him back to his pagan ways. Bede is not a happy bunny. <laughs> he really lays the snark down by basically <clears throat> calling him a, a, a total pagan, which is as insulting as it gets. Yeah. Oh, there's, there, there, there are barely worse things you can call yeah, something. Yeah, this is just it's What's the horrible. word? What's the, oh, apostate. I was going really? to say apostate or apostate, yeah. Because, uh, again, Rome, sorry... In the late empire, or fairly late empire, there was an, an emperor briefly called Julian the Apostate, or at least he's called that by the Christian church. Okay. Because he was the one who, having risen to rule a thoroughly Christian empire at this stage, mm. he was the one that said, actually, we should go back to the old gods. Oh, okay. We should go back to Jupiter and... Wow. Apollo and all that kind of thing. Um, and he actually made moves to try to, not necessarily to convert Rome back, because I think I think he, even he realised, even he figured that was kind of biting off more than he could chew. But he certainly wanted to try to re-encourage worship of the old gods again. And he was, he was sort of started to build temples and all wow. that kind of thing. He was, he was, I think he was killed in battle or, or assassinated <clears throat> or something, but... He didn't get round to going very far with it, and and no. uh, obviously his uh, uh, his efforts eventually sort of dissipated, and Christianity Went, uh, just no. carried on. But yeah, so they they would have called they would have called Red uh, was it Redwald? Redwald. Uh, they would have called him apostate. You see, he kind of remem- reminds me there was a pharaoh in the Egyptian dynasties. Mm. I think he's called a Kenton, and he knowing that he was ruling by divine right. Yeah. And he was essentially a god on earth yeah. as a pharaoh. Tried to introduce monotheism to Egypt. Was he the one that wanted everybody focused on Ra? <clears throat> yeah, all on the sun god. Yeah. Didn't go well. No, I seem no. to remember something about but that. But tried. So, Redwald... Ra, Ray, I'm not sure how you're supposed to pronounce it, to be honest. I'm um, never good at Egyptian. Went Christian. 
got kind of re-persuaded by his wife to go back to paganism, but was then credited with turning all of East Anglia Christian. Okay. Now this, where the king or the lord, or the, uh, yeah, the, the king or the lord of that space is converted to the Christianity and then all of his followers convert because they do not want to lose their status or their place in the social order. Yeah, they need the favour of the yeah. ruler. Yeah. Is called a top-down conversion. Good name. Because you get to the top first yeah. and they everybody under them goes because they don't want to lose their social structure, their it, order. It sort of ends up cascading. Yeah, emperor's new clothes thing. Yeah. Do not want to be the one to say, actually, this is not such a good plan. Sometimes they it happens through the queens. Okay. Because you've got marriages that happen and they create political alliances in this age. Yeah. The queens are coming over from different countries and they're already Christian. So part of the marriage deal is that they bring a monk with them or a priest with them so that they can have their Christian rights and be educated in their faith and not lose it coming over. And of course, if the queen is Christian, she's going to be the one with the ear of the king. Yeah. So you get queens that come over and marry kings who then convert and then you get the whole of that area doing a top-down conversion. Okay. The other way that you can do it is what's called a bottom-up conversion, where the priests go into the villages and into the towns and slowly convert the populace. And then that works its way up the social, straight, uh, the social strata till you get to the king. Both ways are not exactly easy. No. They're not hugely easy. But Redwald. Redwald is one of the contenders for Sutton Hoo. And Sutton Hoo is a boat burial with all the shiny bling in it. Overlooking the sea. Okay. Quite nice. Side note, a bit like when Beowulf is buried, he's buried on a headland in a mound overlooking the sea. Yes, and the smoke. And the smoke. Heaven swallows the smoke. That's right. Love that line. So... Redwald is one of the contenders for the boat burial at Sutton Hoo. And now, there's no denying that whoever is or was buried at Sutton Hoo is probably got a wee bit of bling. There's an awful lot of shinies <coughs> in that space. There is some, some quite... Uh, Significant bling. Impressive stuff, yeah. yeah. The problem with the burial is the fact that because of the soil conditions, you don't get any of the organic stuff surviving. So there's none of the wood that mm. comes out. There's none of the uh, bones. There's no horn. There's no leather. There's no cloth. All of that's gone. What right. you get is basically the shadows in the earth where it was and any of the metal yeah. that was left. Okay. So you have the metal fixings from the front of the shield, but not the shield itself. Wow. So you can't actually tell how big the shield was because it's just got the decoration that no, was put on the not. front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can't figure out the size of the original shield. You could take a good guess. Yeah. But in amongst all of this serious amount of bling, because there's big plates in there, there's bowls in there, there's a huge cauldron on a tripod in there, there's a massive amount of kit, there's a couple of spoons. Spoons? I know you were not expecting me to say spoons, but there are spoons. Spoons is good. Spoons. Okay. So these spoons are... Are we talking like percussion spoons here? You know, the clackety, clackety, clackety. Not quite percussion spoons, but they're, 
They're medieval spoons, so they're kind of like a prototype of the spoon that we've got now. Okay. They've not quite got the hang of what a spoon should quite look like yet, so they're a little bit different, but they kind of still Or maybe we've lost track of what a spoon Maybe we've lost track of what yet. That's also good. So these spoons, there's a pair of them. Okay. And each one of them has a single word written on the handle part, whatever that technical word is in the spoon. And one of them says... The handle? Yes. Thank you. Yes. I don't know. I'm not a spoon expert, but you know. (sighs) No, not Not a spoon scientist. Not a spoonologist. (laughs) (laughs) So one of them has the word solus written on it and the other one has Paulus written on it. Okay. Yeah. As in Saul and Paul. As in Saul and Paul. Alrighty. Alrighty. So, if you're thinking, why has this buried dead guy took two other guys' names written on a spoons in his big bling burial, they're known as the christening spoons. And this is because Saul, yeah, who was a Roman... Uh, official. He was. Working in Judea, I think. Yeah, whole persecuting Christian thing Syria? going on. Syria. I can't remember. It was Damascus, wasn't it? And he was on the road to Damascus. He was. When he was visited by a visitation or a, a vision yeah. of God. It kind of like big thunderbolt from the sky <clears> thing <throat> happened to go bzzzt. Was suddenly inspired to take up the the, the, the flag of Christ. Yeah, and became 180 in his life. Yeah, um, abandoned his Roman vocation, mm. uh, took up with the Christians and became Paul, changed his name to Paul. He did. He is now Saint Paul. He is now Saint Paul. Indeed. So these spoons are christening spoons, presumably on the same basis. Yeah, on this basis of conversion. Yeah. So the spoons are... One of the reasons why they think the grave belongs to Redwald, because he converted. And also converted <clears throat> back. But I suppose you could put the spoons either around. <coughs> he could. Yeah. And yeah, he was still known as the guy who converted East Anglia and made it Christian. Yeah, fair enough. So, yeah. Lovely listeners, we're going to throw some links into the description, as we usually do. This has been an incredibly brief look round the subject and, yeah, you're going to need a wee bit more study to get the whole picture of what's going on. These are just little taster bits of what's happening at mm, this time. Mm. And the Norse interactions with Christianity are incredibly complex, incredibly detailed, and go on over decades. There's a lot of uh, uh, particularly sort of uh, new pagan authors. I say new, you know, the modern, modern yeah. day Pagan authors who will who will write of of European conversion as a almost a, a sort of single violent wave of yeah, of no. uh, oppression that sort of came out from Rome and 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 everybody Just was flattened everything was forced yeah. to to comply and I and no. it was certainly an awful lot more complicated than that. It definitely was in Northern Europe. And next episode, we're going to look at one of the key figures who looked at that, tried to to affect that conversion, top down conversions. Okay called Ansgar, mm-hmm. uh, with his wee little kiff helper, Adam of Bremen. Yeah. Because... It's just... Yeah, what Ansgar goes through reminds me very much of the attitude of Zap Brannigan. Yeah. 
Uh, we're going to go into that next episode, but needless to say, the conversions aren't simple. No. It's a very complex political web, social web of religions that all mesh together. The, the Vikings certainly knew about Christians and Muslims and other peoples and other faiths on their travels. Yeah. There's um, an Irish crozier head and a little Buddha that come from the same place in Sweden. Okay. So they're definitely getting hold of all these different stuff. Well, they are legendary traders, so they're, they're they, going to be uh, yeah, they're meeting gonna, a lot of people, aren't they? And they're going to be getting on with a lot of people yeah. and trading with a lot of people. And yes, they're going to be raiding as well. They had a capacity for great violence. Yeah. But they also had a capacity for huge trades yeah. and travel. So the conversion of the North... Uh, a conversion of Northern Europe is not a single wave of once you flick the first domino, everything else just falls neatly into a pattern. Yeah, it's it had to be. It had to be continually huge, motivated. Yeah, huge, complex intermingling of two great religious, not institutions, because the Norse one it isn't really a homogenous set of worship. Well, religious it's paradigms, religious understandings. I like paradigm. Very, very, yeah, paradigm's good. Paradigm's a good word. So you get this paradigm shift, but it's a very, very slow one. Yeah. And in some areas it takes straight away, in other areas reject it, in other areas it takes a bit longer. Mm. So we're going to go into some of these next time round. Okay. Lovely listeners, if you would like to find us online, my name's Suzanne Martin. You can find me on Facebook as Suzanne Martin. Or you can find me on Twitter at Geetha in Jeans. Throw me a friend request. Come and say hi. Ask me for book recs. Come and say, right, that point you made about such and such. I'm always happy to talk shop. And if you want to find me for any reason, um, you can, your best bet is my um, web, uh, sort of website. Yeah, it's, uh, it's basically just a WordPress blog with uh, with ideas above its station. Um, and it's at glassrain.net, so feel free to pop along and find me there uh, if you want to. Or send me a message through Suzanne. Also good. Yeah, we're all good for this kind of stuff. Yeah. So, lovely listeners, we're going to leave you round the embers of the virtual campfire, just chilling out, and we will talk to you all for episode 68 when we get to talk a little bit more about Anscar and Adam F. Brennan. 68. Here we come. Here we come. Talk to you next time. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.